Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The Irish diaspora has made a huge impact on culture around the globe. And Irish Fest Atlanta is here to preserve Irish traditions in our area. Later this hour, we'll hear about this weekend's festive array of Irish music, dance, and food events from Teresa Finlay and Irish fiddler Marae Nimwine. First, in her new work, Dear Roots, an interview, choreographer Darian Kane personifies her dancers as mushrooms to show quote, a day in the life of an employee in the communication network that lives beneath the earth. Darren Kane is a four-year Atlanta Ballet Company dancer, and her piece features several other talents from Terminus Modern Ballet Company. She joins us now via Zoom along with Keaton Lyre, former Atlanta Ballet dancer and Artist Climate Collective co-founder. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Hi, Lois. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Please explain the scope of the Art to Action film project. Art to Action is a series of dance films that we as ACC put on to continue to gather and create a community that creates art in collaboration with creating awareness with the climate crisis. Artist Climate Collective or ACC commissions these artists to create a film that is dance media and we present it in a series that is screened online for the span of 30 days that you can access these films. The profits from ticket prices all go towards three environmental organizations that do a lot of great groundwork in fighting the climate crisis, and 100% of our profits go towards them. Darian, please tell us about your film dance piece, Dear Roots, an interview. Okay, so I have always maintained the the thought that before you can take care of something, you have to learn to appreciate it. I know that is very true for people as they emerge into their adult lives. They tend to take better care of their rooms and their homes once they are living on their own in comparison to something like my childhood when my mother was always after me about cleaning up. And so when I approach this dance film that I want to create for ACC, my thought was, what is something that's really mysterious and otherworldly about the environment that we live in that people don't talk about very often, but is vastly impactful in maintaining balance in our world? And my aunt was a mycologist, and Netflix released Fantastic Fungi a little bit ago. I think it was maybe two years ago. And I just 
I think that there's so much we don't know about mushrooms and the mycelium network. And every time people begin studies on different mushrooms for health or for like cancer research, or just to figure out what they're doing with the communication for other plant life, it's so beyond our scope of understanding. And I thought that it would be really beautiful to try and abstractly bring that to the surface. So I talked with my significant other who is an actor and I thought I want something like people being mushrooms talking about their jobs. And so we came up with this idea that what if for the first time ever, a news outlet was allowed to interview mushrooms who were representing the mycelium network and the mycelium network being represented as a customer service company. And so he kind of office style got to go in and interview them and have someone talk about what they do and then move on into to segue into the dancing where the dancing would be a more artistic representation of them doing their work after the first section. And then the last section of my piece was the idea of this mushroom couple going home after work and unwinding and that being a metaphor for mushrooms sporing and spreading their fruiting bodies. So that was kind of where I went with that. It is so original. How does your time as a dancer with Atlanta Ballet add to your appreciation of these kinds of physical communication systems, humans in a dance, as well as the way mushrooms participate in mycelium networks? It's funny. I feel like the beauty of being a dancer and choreographing at the same time is that you're making new works while learning new works that can be very helpful and it can also be very confusing because your body will replicate what is being taught to you so it's almost like I I can absorb the work that is being taught to me and without me even trying it informs the way I choreograph so there's this perpetual feedback loop where they kind of keep pushing the other side of things in a forward direction, which is a very unique experience. But I think mushrooms are, they're not quite animals, but they're absolutely not plants. To me, the closest comparison we can draw, and it's a loose one at that would be, mushrooms are kind of like people, like, you there's a mother tree will send messages and communicate with her offspring to grow in an area that is further away from her that has a better environment that's more suitable for growth and so it, it kind of reminds me of the way our close ones and our loved ones and our families are communicating and cueing in our feedback systems and helping us grow as individuals as well and I thought that that was the closest thing I could do to tackle a concept that I still feel like I know nothing about. Sounds like you've learned quite a bit about it. I'm curious, and, and I'm not being facetious, does your appreciation for mushrooms mean you don't want to eat them? Oh, <laughs> absolutely not. I... <laughs> okay. I mean, I just thought you said, you know, they're almost like people. I thought, oh, dear, because certainly vegetarians feel that way about animals. Well, mushrooms have many, many health benefits. So I actually, because of mushrooms, and it's it's hard to make a piece about mushrooms without people immediately thinking about psilocybin. So I, I even in my piece tried to draw a reference to mushrooms being an edible thing in the first section because it felt like it, there would be an, an unanswered question if I didn't try and at least work it into my piece. But I, yeah, I take a mushroom adaptogen supplement in my coffee every day. And uh -huh. I really enjoy it. Yeah. 
And it is such a good pizza topping. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with dancer-choreographers Keaton Lyre and Darian Kane. Okay, Keaton, you perform in Darian's piece. How did you prepare for the role of a mushroom? (laughs) Um, Well, actually, it was quite a fun process. We also had one of Atlanta Ballet's costume designers collaborate with us on this work, with Darian especially. So she created all those original pieces for the project. And yeah, me and Darian and Chloe, her name is Chloe Gervais, we chatted about Darian's thought of us, each of us having our own specific type of mushroom. And that's how our costumes and colors were created. And so if you've seen the film, you can see that we all have a little bit of a different different color combination in our costume and um, all of our personalities were kind of linked to which type of mushroom we were. And so that was very fun. We did have a little bit of a group homework project where some of us went and watched the film that Darian's talking about. The, uh, what's it called again, Darian, sorry. Fantastic Fungi. Yes, Fantastic Fungi. And just, I think, yeah, the best way to prepare for it was just learning a little bit more about mushrooms, which I thought was very fun. And yeah, the whole cast thought it was a really big blast and we had a ton of fun getting into character. Oh, wow. Darian, how did you connect with dancers from Terminus, Modern Ballet Company, to produce this work together? They're lovely. So I've worked with Jackie before. She was one of my original crew when I first began choreographing with Dr. Rainbow. So I'm always trying to loop her back into my projects because she's a lot of fun. And her husband, Heath, he is my biggest hero when it comes to choreography. I The first time I saw his work, I was so touched and when I think about choreographing, oftentimes I'm like, if I could just do something close to what he does with his work, I could be happy with myself. So it was very intimidating to be working with Heath because he is such an incredible artist, but they were really lovely. And they're friends of ours. We we kind of run in the same circles and I, I go see their shows. And so um, it was very much like, reaching out via text and call and being like hey please be in my project to Jackie please can you convince Heath to do this I think it would be really fun but it it kind of felt like like (laughs) together with friends that are not in this that were not in the studio with us but are kind of always with us in spirit so it felt really nice it was it was a wonderful experience I think it's wonderful when artists are collaborative and not competitive. There's so much to be gained on many levels. Keaton, how can art, especially dance, help move humanity toward a greener future? Okay, so this is a great question. I think just based off of what we've talked about, When we consider Darian's piece, I think it drives us all to feel certain emotions that are um, different and um, not similar to the ones you usually feel when you consider the climate crisis. And so our, our biggest goal at ACC is to get people to shift perspectives based on what they experience with the art that we create when it comes to considering the climate crisis. And we believe that art has such a deep power to evoke emotions from people. And um, yeah, I believe that it's so easy to feel hopeless and sometimes even confused when considering the climate crisis and looking at the science or watching the news even. And so this is just a, a new and different way to approach those feelings, I feel like. And I, I wanna create a safe space for people to able to enjoy art while, you know, reflecting these feelings. Great. Darian, are there any plans to 
give a performance of Dear Roots for a live audience? I feel like there should be. If that answers your question. (laughs) We don't have a current live performance plan, but it definitely could be something in the future. We are also in the talks of screening this live in Atlanta on Serenby Art Farm, where the, the piece was filmed. So that is something to look forward to maybe in the early spring or late winter. Dancer choreographers Keaton Lyre and Darian Kane. The new film series Art to Action is presented by the Artists Climate Collective. And information on how to stream the film is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. In a moment, we'll hear about this weekend's upcoming Irish Fest Atlanta. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. You can experience the rich traditions and joyful music of Ireland in historic Roswell this weekend. Irish Fest Atlanta is a two-day festival celebrating Irish culture. Joining me now via Zoom is the director of the festival, Teresa Finlay, with Marait Nimine, fiddler of the band Alton, performing Friday evening. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you, Lois. Thank you very much. Teresa, take us back, please, to the creation of Irish Fest at Lato. When did it begin? Well, this is our 10-year festival, hard to believe, Lois, but we started back in 2013 um, and created a festival that we wanted to appeal to all community members of all ages with varying familiarity of all things Irish. Core to it was, of course, the traditional Irish music and dance And then we continuously added on more of the culture of Ireland as we grew. Really, the inspiration came from many of us that were the original volunteers that created it, had young uh, children in Irish traditional music. And we wanted to bring the very best of traditional Irish music to Atlanta for them to be able to meet and network with some of the best in the world. And that has paid off in dividends for us in here in Atlanta. Oh, fantastic. And bringing the best in Marait, whom we'll get to in just a moment. First, Teresa, why did you want to expand this year's festival to two days? Well, that was our original plan when we moved to downtown historic Roswell. We grew into an indoor and outdoor festival so that we could accommodate free programming as well as obviously really great concerts as well. And two days make sense for people that are going to come in out of town. We'd really like to go to three days someday and and bring it into Sunday. But, you know, after the COVID years, it was time to get back outside and to expand 
expand our programming because we had the opportunity after a couple of years of one year, we did a virtual Irish Fest and last year we just did a one day festival to get back out. Um, so we're, we're feeling pretty good about all the programming we've got over the two days. And we look forward to hearing more about that. First, Moret, would you tell us about your musical background and how you learned to play the fiddle? <laughs> That's a long story. My, my father, Francie Mooney, um, and my mother were both musicians, and Francie played the fiddle. And he was also a local elementary school teacher that taught music to all the children that uh, came to uh, his class and also started classes back in the 60s teaching fiddle and flute and anything cultural like that he was a very creative man so I really got interested when I was 10 I suppose I heard uh, other fiddle players around my own age playing at that stage because before that I only saw older people play and as soon as I saw someone my own age, I thought this would be cool to do. And uh, I just got interested. Up until then, I was singing songs in Gaelic because we come from the Gaeltart area of northwest Donegal, Gidor. So the instrument was a natural progression. And I took to it like duck to water, honest to God. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. And I'm still learning and loving it and loving meeting people. And that's how I met Teresa Finley in Milwaukee. When we would go to Milwaukee, we'd go to the Dowling's house and her mommy, Betty, who lives in Atlanta with her and her dad. And we'd stay like they were like family to us. And uh, we know Martin very well and Jody who play fiddles. And they kept the tradition alive that they got from their mother and father, who were Irish born. And uh, it was a very, very lovely way to make friends. And we're so delighted now to see Patrick Finley as one of the best fiddle players playing traditional music in Ireland and in America. So it's a great honour to be going to Atlanta. So special. Thank you. Now, you mentioned Donegal. You are internationally renowned for playing your fiddle in the Donegal style. What distinguishes the Donegal style of fiddling? Well, Donegal is fairly isolated. If you look at it politically, even the six counties or Northern Ireland separates it from the rest of the Republic. So that isolates it a little from the rest of the Republic. And also there's the Derry Bay Mountains uh, splits it up into a two-part county and that alone during we'll say the 20, the 19th century the 20th century it was very much in in you know you couldn't access it very well so that kept the music very much intact in a sort of it had an accent of its own and then there was a lot of uh, immigration to Scotland which was like Scotland is like a sister county or country to Ireland as it's a Celtic nation. So um, a lot of the people in Donegal would go to Scotland for uh, seasonal labour and they would bring back tunes and songs, which were very much like Irish music. And uh, that's how we all got, you know, we have that distinctive Scottish music in our music as well. Oh, wow. You co-founded the band Alton. Am I saying that correctly? Of course you are. Okay. Perfect. Perfect Gaelic. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> what was the audience response when you began performing traditional Irish music around the world? Well, it was a kind of a natural progression. We started playing music because we love it. And I think if you love what you're doing, people pick up on that. And if you're honest and discerning when you're playing and stay honest to yourself, people also pick up on that. And uh, we didn't want to dilute it or make it anything else other than traditional Irish music. So I think we did something which was quite unusual. We focused in on Donegal music, tunes that I was brought up with. My, that we got from my father, from my neighbours, from 
people that we knew around Donegal. And it was kind of a different type of music to the usual Irish music that you would have heard up until then. And it, it kind of just gave another aspect of Irish music that showed how varied a music it is in such a small country. Hmm. Yeah. If you are just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking about Irish Fest Atlanta with Teresa Finley and Marit Nimwine. What are a few of the songs your band will perform this weekend? What will we play? Oh, well, it all depends on the weather, really. Okay. <laughs> We, we love to play Gaelic songs, love songs, which are really very, very old and they have beautiful poetry. A lot of them are about unrequited love and yearning for love and the word love itself. There's a special love when you're in, in the pain of love in the Gaelic language. And um, they're really beautiful poems as well we'll we'll also sing a few English songs and we we have a special guest with us from Donegal a young Donegal fiddle player by the name of Claire Friel and she'll be with us we like to encourage young musicians as we always have Patrick Finley on stage in Atlanta as well so I hope he'll come and join us this weekend as well on stage join the us old fogies (laughs) on the stage and uh That's one thing about Irish music. The thing about age doesn't come into it. It's ageless. And like when I was growing up, some of my best pals were 80 years old, you know, and there was no segregation of age when you're playing music. And it makes people wiser and better and younger. And (laughs) it has a great uh, aspect, community aspect because of that. Oh, I agree. Intergenerational relationships are essential, and especially with the joy of music. Yes, it it breaks every barrier. We travel a lot in Japan and Asia, and uh, like most people don't even understand English, so to, to sing Gaelic songs for them is quite easy, but music transcends everything, and if you, if you sing and play with your heart, people pick that up. Now, will Irish dances be performed as you are playing? Or, Teresa, is that separate? Well, you never know. People do tend to want to rise up and, and do some steps. But we do have a lot of Irish dancing happening through the weekend. We've got lovely Irish step dance schools here in Atlanta. They will all be performing throughout the afternoon on Saturday. And of course, we've got this year, uh, which is new for us, we're going to host an Irish Cayley where everyone can join in this social dancing experience. Now, if you're smart, you will take advantage of the workshops that are offered Friday afternoon and Saturday morning to learn the dance steps. But if you don't get a chance to do that, we'll pull you up off the side of of the group and get you dancing before you know it. So we're looking forward to that. We'll have social dancing or Kaylee dancing to to a live Kaylee band. And then we'll also have the Phoenix School of Irish Arts, who, who is a school of Irish music and also Shannos dance and set dancing, uh, which is not commonly seen in this area. So um, you'll get a glimpse of that on Saturday evening as we open for the band Lunasa. Oh, now will there be traditional Irish food and drink as well? Oh, yes. So we try and make sure that we take advantage of our Irish chefs and others in the community. We have a cocktail and food pairing um, that's hosted by Judith McLaughlin. And uh, she is of the Shamrock and Peach. And she's one of our local favorite Irish born chefs here in Atlanta. And we have a whiskey tasting and things of that nature. So there there are a few things like that. We also have a demonstration of our Gaelic sports that will happen in the family programming area. 
along with things for the kids like face painting and things of that nature and little arts and crafts. So like I said, there is something for everyone at this festival, all ages. I guess this would be for both of you. Because the expense of international travel greatly limits the number of people who can go abroad, what is the importance of events such as Irish Fest? I think it's 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 vitally important. You know, we have a, a great diaspora across the U.S. of Irish and so much talent in music and dancing right here in the States. But I feel it's really important for us to maintain a strong connection to Ireland. Sometimes it's, you know, our kids that are playing music, their first time that they go to Ireland is because they're going there to compete. And the competition really is less important after a while than all the people that they meet and the connections they meet. I think it's same same for the Irish step dancing community where so many kids, um, their first time in Ireland is through their dance or through their music. And the connection I think is vital, vitally important. That's why we make it our, our priority to bring people always in from Ireland along with the many great musicians and dancers here that are Irish-American. But we think that combination is really important to us. Uh, I agree with you, Teresa. Um, it's really important for us as well to make that connection with Irish-American musicians and families that maybe don't play at all, but are interested in the music and in the culture in general. It gives us an audience to come to and play here in the States. And also what I noticed over listening to a lot of Irish American musicians who play traditional Irish music, they have their own style. They've created a style, a regional style here in the States, which is quite interesting and is based on the Irish American fiddle music of Coleman and Morrison. And it's beautiful to listen to. It's like listening to a piece of history, really. And uh, uh, it's progressing from another base, which is really, really interesting as a musician to listen to. Yes, Lois. And I would also add on that what's great evidence of this connection is our Consul General of Ireland here in Atlanta has always been an amazing support and force behind this festival. As a matter of fact, one of our food events, the Irish Tea, is built around hosting our Consul General of Ireland. And I think that is also a very strong sign that it is this connection is very important to people from Ireland and people in the in the US that uh, are have Irish heritage or don't have much Irish heritage at all, but have found the music and have found the dance and love the culture. Teresa Finley, director of Irish Fest Atlanta, and Marate Nimwine, fiddle player for Alton. The band performs this Friday at the Roswell Cottages, one of several Irish Fest Atlanta events in historic Roswell this Friday and Saturday. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, Naji Dorsey, the founder and CEO of Black Art in America, on their East Point Museum and Sculpture Garden. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WAB. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The arts organization Black Art in America, or BIA, was created out of love for black art, black community, and black excellence. They've elevated the community of black artists since 2010 with arts advocacy, workshops, management services, and exhibitions.
Arts. This year, Baya hit a major landmark with the grand opening of their new dedicated gallery space in East Point. The Baya Gallery showcases art by both renowned and emerging Black artists. Founders, CEO, and visual artist Najee Dorsey joins me now via Zoom to talk about the new gallery. Najee, welcome to City Lights. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Black Art in America has been providing a variety of services for artists and the arts community for 12 years now. Would you tell us a bit about its origins? Yeah, so I moved to Atlanta in 05 to pursue my art full time, but it quickly came to a realization that you know, there was a a challenge and a shortage of attention related to, you know, the African-American artists and the artists that I was seeing around me doing wonderful works. And in 2010, sitting around a, a table of collectors and artists in Chicago, you know, one one evening of doing a weekend show there, I had that that epiphany, that that light bulb that went off and say, hey, you know, you know, as Obama said, you be the change that you're looking for. <laughs> and from that point, just solicited some friends to help assist in creating a platform to document, preserve, and promote the contributions of the African-American art community. So that's how we started. Nachi, what did it mean for you to open Baya's first dedicated brick-and-mortar gallery? We've hit a, a point where you know, we was, we was in the middle of COVID. We were 10, 11 years into the company, and I felt like we had more capacity to do more. And the next step for us would be a brick and mortar. You know, we feel as though we built a virtual institution focused to our culture. And uh, it, it was just a matter of, you know, gr- continuing to grow and to create a space where we could showcase the work of these talented artists, both past and present and build a facility that facilitated community. You know, I mean, it was about a gathering space, a space where we could connect, connect with other people and also continue to educate and elevate the works by uh, artists of color. So it means, it means a lot. And why did you choose the location of East Point for this gallery? Yeah, I think the location really found us. When I saw the property, it was is it, it really it really came about because we were looking to move back to Atlanta and we were having trouble finding a uh, a residence to buy because in the middle of COVID the prices were getting skyrocket you know we're, we're rate we're going crazy and but at the time yeah, commercial had shuttered like and so you know I thought about what Warren Buffett would say he say do the opposite of what everybody else is doing and so I said well let me see what commercial property is out there and I got to looking around. And I ran across this great lot. I mean, three quarters of an acre. It's got its own block, 4,000 square feet gallery space. And I just saw a lot of potential. I mean, the, the building had great bones. It's 0.3 miles from Langford Parkway and three and a half miles from the airport. So I just saw a, a huge opportunity. And, you know, it was in the neighborhood, but it's not quite, it's like a mix of neighborhood and businesses. So it just, you know, it seemed right. It seemed right. And it's proven to be, you know, the one thing that I really, I would say not necessarily underestimated, but really didn't understand was the impact that it would have on community because of the, not the fact that we just brought a gallery here and not the fact that we bought, you know, a a successful company and, but the energy that we put into it with the design and the art and the level of renovation I mean, it's really transformed how people see this area, how people see this building and the the amount of love and appreciation they have for what we brought to the community. So it's been it's been really special when I see my neighbors come up and the pride that they have in their eyes or the bus drivers driving by blowing and waving and people <laughs> stopping saying, hey, man, we love what you did. I had no idea. Oh, that must be so gratifying. And Baya's grand opening exhibition was on the Juneteenth weekend. What was it like to celebrate the opening of this new space on such a special weekend? 
It was amazing. I mean, we had a lot of people in, a lot of locals, a lot of people that traveled from around the country. But when you think of the significance of the date, uh, while there was a lot of activity going on, I mean, that's, that's probably was the only drawback. Like everybody had something going on, which is great for Juneteenth. So we had to, you know, people had to navigate that. But when you think about it symbolically of the last of our ancestors finding about their freedom and yet by a Black Art in America, you know, headquartered in gallery space, being on the road on Connolly, which was a, a former enslaver, you know, in this area. And then you're like where we are today and bringing in high culture, you know, a celebration of who we are and the journey that we've made and the journey that we continue to make and the contribution we continue to make. I think it all just kind of fed into something that was just, you know, it was, it was memorable. And I don't know, it's just, I, I, sometimes I don't have the words, you know, we just kind of put in the work. This is what we do. This is what we love, but we see it in people's eyes when they come here. Uh, Lois, when they come here, people know that they're in a space that's uniquely different. The physical space for the Baja Gallery is built in a former church, now renovated with exterior murals and the adjoining sculpture garden you mentioned. How did you prepare the building for its new chapter? Uh, you know, it's I always say it's, it's my biggest canvas to date, you know. When you take on an endeavor like this, I had never participated with a renovation and never dealt with contractors. So fortunately and unfortunately, I had time, right? So you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so I'm thinking through just like, you know, I got this blank canvas to work with. I knew we wanted to to open it up, you know. So I mean, and this and this building's had a, a history even beyond the last tenant to us being a storefront church in the 30s. The original building was built and it was a general store. In the 60s, a back half was added and became a plumbing supply warehouse. And later in the 90s, it became offices. And subsequently, our storefront church was the last tenant. We came in and I mean, when we bought the building, it had eight foot drop ceiling. So, you know, we just knocked down a bunch of walls, opened it up, a, a new gut, a new vision, you know, but thankfully it had just great bones. I mean, it's got a barrel vault ceiling. I mean, it's it's the perfect space for a gallery, you know? Can you tell us about some of the artists and works featured in the sculpture garden? So in the sculpture garden, we've got a work by Namdi. I'm a butcher, Namdi's last name, so I'd rather, rather almost not even try. Uh, but these three women uh, entitled uh, Friends that are just relaxed, safe and loved on each other just kind of having a moment and it's just like just girlfriends and so we've got also work by Jonathan Afumu who's another artist but he's a younger artist he recently graduated from SCAD uh, it's a tortoise and a beta fish we've also got our signature work for the company in terms of a garden art product that we offer it's called garden art for the soul so we've got some life-size versions of those that are works from some of my early works, as well as uh, work by Frank Frazier, who's a noted artist, which we named one of the galleries from. Frank is about to turn 80. He's been in the industry uh, almost 60 years, and he's been a staunch advocate for younger artists, particularly. And he had a, a great impact on, on myself and so many other artists. So we wanted to honor Frank with a dedicated room. So that's probably about, I want to say maybe when you count all the garden art, that's probably at least about 40 images, 40 works of art outside. We've also got a mural uh, during the Juneteenth uh, festivities. We brought in uh, Street Art Revolution, which is a group of muralists out of Miami to paint a mural. And they, uh, we've got that mural outside. We've got a 1960s GMC step band of which I painted and collaged on myself. It's got an Atlanta sign on top. So if we call this a compound or a campus, the entire space is just you know, overflowing with an arts experience from the garden art to the murals on both sides of the properties. We've got a 40-foot container that has a beautiful mural done by Charmaine Menefield mm. and her team. And so, like, it's just, you know, an art-filled experience. Artists everywhere. And what's inside the gallery? Uh, well, when you first walk in, you're going to be greeted by a wonderful piece by Lillian Blaze entitled Atlanta Sunset. 
to the left, we had this one section that we call our homage to the artists that came before. And there you're going to find works going all the way back to artists of the Harlem Renaissance, like uh, Richmond Barthay. And we've got a couple pieces by David Driscoll, uh, Louis Del Sartre, Ron Adams, Fred Jones, and others. And these are artists that are no longer with us. So part of our mission has always been to document, preserve, and promote, and make space to educate people about the artists that came before, as well as what's happening right now in the contemporary. So we've got that section. And then you get into uh, new works by contemporary artists like Ume and and we got Downs and works by Kevin Cole and Reginald Loran and so many others. Now we got a nice, a beautiful section by Najjar Abdul Musawir, who was an early mentor of mine many years ago. And so right now we've probably got about between the three galleries, maybe 80 works on exhibition and a number of works that, that are definitely museum quality. Uh, the majority of the artists that we work with, they're seasoned artists, have been in it for a long time, have significant uh, exhibition careers. Many are in, in already in museum collections. I read that you and your wife, Soteria, were especially passionate about elevating Black artists, both emerging and established. So your nod to the historical importance of those older artists, some deceased, was very intentional. It is. Baya often encourages those who enjoy the art on display to become collectors. Why is it important for Black art to have its own strong culture of art collectors in the community? along with well-represented artists? Well, I mean, the collectors are the lifeblood, I would say, because, you know, artists need funding, they need support, and people need, you know, great works of art in their homes. I mean, uh, Siri and I, we're avid collectors. We've been collecting almost the entire time that we've been married, and it's made such a difference in our quality of life to be able to go home and, and really take a moment to enjoy, reflect, and, and basically, you know, respond and have conversations around the many forms of expression that these artists have created in. And so we want that type of experience, that type of lived experience for other people. Oftentimes people talk about collecting, but I think it's, it's better experience. And so like the group that we were in Chicago with Diaspora Rhythms, that's one of the things that they did to kind of advocate and encourage people to collect. Like they would invite people into their homes to see their collections. And that makes so much of a difference. You know, artists are creating, again, they need support. And the role that we play at Baya is to kind of facilitate, you know, collectors and artists finding each other. A lot of that is based on the works that we've collected ourselves. I mean, many of the artists that we have in the gallery is work that we've seen and found a lot of value with. We think the artists are making significant contributions in terms of their craft and the level and the quality of work, they're bringing something new, something fresh, and it's work that deserves to be seen. That's a role that we, uh, we, we definitely take on, and we love working with collectors, both emerging collectors and seasoned collectors. And people's tastes change over time, and thankfully we've got a range of works and the experience to help them kind of navigate those waters. And Nachi, please tell us something about... Baya's 2022 initiatives for the Atlanta community? Well, I'm proud to say that we're planning out our exhibition schedule. We're also adding to our programming schedule. But one of the things that's been really, really important, I think, that we've kind of grown as a company over time, and we're, we're always kind of reinventing ourselves, you know, to give something new uh, to our existing audience and our growing audience, we started the Black Art in America Foundation. And within that, we're actually giving funds to artists and supporting organizations that have an interest in community-based works. And I think that that's the, that's the difference. You know, we have to find ways to get the community involved. Art is so much more than just something pretty to put on the wall. And while, you know, while that's great for those who enjoy that, there's so much more of an impact that we can have as artists. So many topical things going on in this world that we need artists to explore and investigate. Uh, and those are the kind of things that we're interested in supporting. Like we just bought, we've got a building right now, a smaller building that we bought, a container that we were, we'll be using as on-site education. 
and a residency component for what we're going to do through the foundation. And we're also partnering with other organizations and institutions to work with them on collaborative efforts to educate and to create opportunities for artists. We introduce a lot of young people to not only creating art, but also getting engaged within the garden space, learning about plants, learning how to cultivate, you know, learning which ones are medicinal. So I think what we're doing is pretty dynamic and, you know, we're still continuing to grow and, and to figure out how we can better be of even more service to the community of people that are interested in Black visual culture, whether it's from an education standpoint, whether it's collecting, whether it's an event space, whether it's just programming or just a getaway. So, you know, that's that's kind of where we are right now. Naji Dorsey, founder and CEO of Black Art in America. More information about their East Point Museum and Sculpture Garden is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Art Smith tells us about his informative and in-depth website, Gape Archives. Plus, We'll hear from the genre-bending band Quarteto Nuevo, and we take a look inside iDrum's newest exhibition, Idea and Place, Advancing the Legacy of Black Mountain College. If you missed part of today's show, like our earlier story about Irish Fest Atlanta, you could catch up through our podcast or on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There, you will find a complete archive of our stories so you can listen to City Lights on your schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Troves. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to W-A-B-E Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.